0: Hello everyone and welcome to the third weekly episode of HR Works COVID-19 Update. We will be publishing these shorter episodes every week with the goal of covering employment law issues surrounding COVID-19. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. We're pleased to have employment attorney Jacob M. Monte, managing partner and founder of Monte and Ramirez LLP with us today to discuss the recent announcement of an immigration freeze from the Trump administration. For over two decades, Jake Monti has successfully practiced at the intersection of immigration, labor, and employment laws. He's a nationally recognized authority on issues facing employers with large Hispanic workforces. He's written not one, but three books on the topic and speaks regularly in English and Spanish on navigating labor and employment matters in industries with heightened immigration scrutiny. His clients include professional baseball teams, grocery store chains, single establishment and chain restaurants, and leading companies in the construction and facility maintenance fields. He has been interviewed by major media outlets such as Fox News, CNN, MSNBC regarding national immigration concerns. Jake founded Monty and Ramirez LLP to offer an integrated approach to dealing with Hispanic workforces. He and his bilingual partners address all the critical aspects of employer advocacy from immigration to union matters, workplace safety, and employment disputes. Jake, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Happy to be here, Jim. Let's jump right in. Uh, we're, we're talking about um, the immigration freeze that was announced a little under a week ago. Before we get into that, I just thought we would ask about how uh, things like furloughs and layoffs during this crisis impact employer responsibility uh, as regards to non-immigrant workers.
1: Well, great question. Lots of employers have laid employees off, others have furloughed employees, but when you have non-immigrant workers, it becomes much more complicated. If you have an H1B worker and you lay him off, you've automatically taken him out of status and you know that is is going to impact him or her, and he's going to lose status. So you have to be careful about taking action uh, that would otherwise uh, not impact a, a U.S. citizen. But if you if you do that to a non-immigrant H-1B holder, for example, you have, have caused him or her to lose status. And that status that you, as an employer, worked hard to get, you have to understand that the simple act of putting an employee on layoff or furlough can have some far reaching consequences to the employee if they're a non-immigrant employee with uh, a certain uh, classification like h1b or tn uh or or other visa category. um
0: just quickly following up would a furlough uh take them out of that out of
1: that, um, status? Yes. Even a furlough would, would take them out of status. So you have to be cognizant of that. You know, furloughs typically mean a layoff, but you're keeping them on the payroll. You might be allowing them to keep insurance benefits from, a an immigration law perspective. The, the consequence is the same. Employment has been, uh, impaired and, their status is in jeopardy. Now, the good news is for the immigrant employee, they have 60 days to find a new employer. Maybe they could get recalled by the same employer, but it's a 60 day window. And if if they don't find a new employer, or if you as the employer don't recall them, then they're going to have to leave the
0: country. That's really good information. I know that, you know, just on what we're seeing, there's been a lot of confusion about furloughs because for by and large, they're the least, you know, before this, the coronavirus, they were the least employed, um, I guess non-employment solution you would call it. Uh, so there's been, and a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about what it means. So it's really good to get some clarity about that in a specific instance. Um, I wanted to discuss the freeze itself. Uh, I understand that it was going to be a little bit more severe than it ended up being. Do you mind just explaining what it looks like in its current form? Well, I'm gonna try
1: not to be political because you know we're talking about facts here, but it's no secret that this administration has been hostile to all immigrants since the beginning. And you have to give them uh, credit for being very, upfront and transparent about it. So a lot of immigration practitioners were expecting a much more draconian immigration executive order following COVID because really this was the perfect opportunity for the administration to fulfill a long-standing goal of the administration to further reduce legal and of course illegal immigration. When we saw the actual executive order, everyone was surprised in how modest it was. Now, before we go out and, and start celebrating the administration for being suddenly kind to immigrants, I think you have to consider a number of factors. First off, the administration did not want to hurt the COVID compliance effort by taking away essential immigrant employees that were helpful in essential industries or who were working in hospitals. So I, I think you, you ended up with a very tame immigration ban. The reason was they didn't want to hurt uh, COVID uh, you know, uh, recovery efforts, but there is an executive order. It is tame. It essentially takes a 60-day pause on immigrant petitions, not on non-immigrant petitions. And Jim, when I talk about non-immigrant petitions, I'm still talking about what you and I would consider as immigrants, but a non-immigrant visa petition is somebody who's going to be here for a short time, as opposed to an immigrant under the Immigration Act is someone who's going to be here for a long time or permanently. So, the immigration ban just says we have a 60-day pause on permanent immigrants. Uh, So that's that's the first step. The other thing it does is that non-immigrants are also restricted, but there's a big exception for people working in the healthcare industry and in essential industries. So this is why we, we say that it was a tame executive order because it could have been much more severe. It could have really uh, restricted immigration more. It, it, it really didn't. I'll tell you what has impacted immigration much more than the president's order. And that is all consulates have been shut down for more than a month. And that is really causing a big impact. Because, you know, there's no one to actually issue visas. So you could say the COVID effect has been much bigger on immigration than the president's order. Because immigration has really come to a halt because all of the consulates and U.S. embassies abroad have been shut down.
0: When I first heard of the ban, the first thing I thought of is is that we're in planting season right now uh, very large amounts or percentages of the agricultural industry in the United States relies on foreign national workers, um, on temporary visas. Um, you know, I used to, I used to work at one of those farms. I, every, every year the, the guys would come in, uh, mostly from Jamaica and, you know, I think about them, they're critical to how we operate here in the country, how we create food, you know, the very basic necessity. Um, do you, do you have an idea of how they've been impacted? I mean, I think what I read was that they would still be allowed in, but now you're, if the consulates are closed, could they even make it? Well, yes. And, and again,
1: this is a, a very enlightened executive order. They put some thought into it because they didn't want to make the situation worse. So there's a big exception for agricultural workers in addition to other workers that are working in essential industries. The problem, and you've said it, is you do have consulates that are closed everywhere. They do have an emergency staff available for emergency visas and included in the category of people that could get emergency visas are the types of workers you're talking about h2a workers uh, and certain h2b workers so again the administration they wanted to send a signal that they're fulfilling their uh, effort to reduce immigration but they didn't want to hurt the very industries that we need right now food production so you know they came up with this exception, but it is very hard to get these visas approved. We've been working to try to bring in some H-2A workers that are stuck in Mexico right now, and it is it is tough. We're having to call consular officials at their on their personal telephones in Mexico to try to get an appointment done, and it it really has slowed the process a great deal. Uh, they are processing those visas, but. It's done Um, on an emergency basis. I think that
0: that's all we have time for in this segment, but um, I'm going to invite you back for next week's episode. So thank you again uh, a whole lot for taking the time to join us today.
1: Happy to be here, Jim.
0: Listeners, please check back next week for the next episode, which will also be with Jake Monte. We're going to talk a little bit more about this issue, including, including compliance issues with employers that have large Hispanic populations. Um, how the COVID crisis impacts those employers that depend on high-skilled laborers, foreign high-skilled laborers, through visas like the H-1B specialty occupation visa, as well as what accommodations have been made for employers hiring new employees uh, in the light of this current crisis. Um, if you have any suggestions for what we might cover in some of these shorter episodes, please email me at jdavis at blr.com and we'll see if we can get them answered. Uh, it would probably be best if you just put HR Works COVID-19 update in the subject line on um, that way I can make sure that I see your email. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.